In this podcast, Nick and I exchange lively conversation about family constellations and focalizing, death's power to bring possibility and connection, how to move deeper than the mind for empowerment, trauma that isn't ours, rules of belonging, and the filters we live through. Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Embody Podcast, a show about remembering and embodying your true nature, inner wisdom, embodied healing, and self-love. My name is Candace Wu, and I'm a holistic healing facilitator, intuitive coach, and artist sharing my personal journey of vulnerability, offering meditations and guided healing support, and having co-creative conversations with healers and wellness practitioners from all over the world. This episode is sponsored by the Ally with Death Visualization Experience. It's an online do-it-yourself exploration of moving through what needs to be released and go in your life so that you can find your true reasons to live, your purpose, and what feels like you fresh and new right now. If you're feeling drained in your energy or anxious and unsure about what next steps to take in your life, this is a great way to reset and to let the cycle of life, death, and life flow through you so that you can move forward refreshed and rejuvenated. You can find the whole experience at candicewoo.com death. And very soon there will be an audio experience, an audio guided experience that brings you to the mood of the experience as well as stirs you on the inside so that you can come to your truth. I'm totally geeked about having Nick Werber on the show. He is a friend of mine as well as colleague, and we just love talking about the nitty gritty of family constellations and trauma, collective trauma, and other things that excite us like death. I know that sounds funny, but we just love talking about all the ways that things can be interesting, healing, and powerful for us as beings stepping forward in life. Nick and I clicked as soon as we met each other at a Family Constellations Immersion through a mutual teacher that we have, Susie Tucker. And our personal stories in this podcast, as well as this conversation, give you a taste of how we invite each other to stay evolving and inspired. Nick brings a deep thoughtfulness and presence. He just brings a strength of holding space for healing. And those who work with him are given that space and safety to allow the deepest parts of their being to come into focus. Nick's been working with advanced healing approaches for over seven years, and his entry into the healing arts started with focalizing, which he'll explain more in this podcast. And from there, a mixture of intuition and serendipity moved him to train with several world-renowned facilitators, family constellations, and systemic constellations. Along the way, he's acquired a breadth of experience and certifications in Reiki, mutual awakening, qigong, and other energy-based modalities. It's even more special to have Nick on the show because he's the musician that has generously offered his music for the intro and outros of this podcast. So you know those sounds that you hear in the beginning and in between transitional spaces, that's Nick's music. I love this music and I'm so appreciative that he lets us use it and very excited to introduce Nick to you today. So without further ado, let's jump into the conversation with Nick. It is my great joy to introduce a good friend and fellow colleague, Nick Werber. And Nick, 
I'm just so excited to have you today on the show. I just appreciate you as a friend, as a colleague, someone who inspires me um, from miles away. Sometimes we're on opposite ends of the world, but um, I learn something from you every single time I interact with you, whether that's on Instagram or in a session of Family Constellations. And one of the things that I just really appreciate about you is your presence in being present when you're with me and when you're with others. So I'm just thrilled to have you on the show today to talk about all things healing and anything inspiring to you. Welcome, Nick. Thank you, Candace. The feeling is mutual. And thank you for having me. Thank you. Well, I'd love for you to share a bit about how you see your work, what your work is in terms of family constellations and focalizing. You and I work very similarly, and I've talked about constellations on the show, but I think it'd be really fascinating and interesting to hear how you share what you do and how you see your work. Sure. I call myself an integrative coach, and I work in New York City. I work in private practice just south of Union Square. And what I do is I integrate a few different healing modalities to help people with, you know, various kind of mental health challenges like anxiety or depression or um, people suffering from trauma. And I integrate primarily family constellations with a modality called focalizing. So the way I describe that is that I am working with people where we use family constellations to look at the past and where people come from. So understanding how people's family system or their ancestral system actually plays a role in some of those present issues that they're experiencing today. And then I tie in focalizing, which is about exploring how we care th carry things in our bodies. So it's kind of this, we look backwards and understand what, you know, the events that kind of flowed into who we are today. And then go into our bodies to understand where is, what are the present experiences and how are they like living within us. And I think that's something that a lot of people might not connect to is that so many mental health challenges really do have physical components to them. So instead of necessarily having to talk through it all, if you work on the physical aspects, and I, I don't do that through touch. It's it's just through mind kind of awareness. But if you can work on those physical aspects, it actually can create a quite profound change in a person's mental state. Yeah, I have witnessed that myself in myself and in in my clients. And that's um, you and I actually work very similarly. But I think you bring something very special. And how is it that you work with the physical sense? and emotion, and how something's carried in the body through focalizing. One of the things I like to share about it is um, it's a very intention-driven process. On one hand, it can look a little bit like a guided meditation from the outside, where someone might close their eyes, and I'm kind of helping facilitate them going inward and exploring what's there. But the biggest difference, I believe, between meditation and what focalizing is, is how intention-oriented it is. So every session starts with a goal, and throughout the session, we're working towards that goal. One of the ways that we do that is 
once someone is really connected to their body, just speaking that intention again immediately allows the body to respond to it. So I'll have someone repeat, my intention is to feel less anxiety at work. And they'll immediately get this reaction from their body of, wow, there's a lot of tightness in my shoulders, or there seems to be this kind of strange swirling sensation that I'm noticing. And then where we go from there is instead of talking about the stories about anxiety, now we're working with the tightness in the shoulders, or we're working with that swirling sensation. And so one thing I would say that is really powerful and and helpful for people is if you've ever noticed that telling and retelling a story of your past hasn't been effective in creating a change in your life, that's almost entirely what this work is founded on is, yeah, let's move away from the story and actually work with what is like physically present. And it's amazing. Some people just, they really, or a lot of people really fly with that and are able to make big changes when they get away from the stories. Beautiful. I think that's so powerful to keep it really relevant and then bring it into the body. What I find too, Nick, is that when sometimes we just share the story and it just replays itself and we find ourselves sharing the same story over and over is related to what you're talking about, it can also overwhelm the body and overwhelm the system and re-traumatize in ways is what I've noticed. Definitely. Yeah. Do you notice that? And I, I notice that you work with overwhelm. How do you experience this and what do you do? Yeah. I mean, I think that's kind of the issue sometimes with the stories is that to retell them gets you more stuck in them. What I would say is I, I don't want to say that our past and our stories don't have value because I think, you know, in the sessions that I do, I, I often start with a little bit of understanding of where someone's coming from. But the way I see the role of that is that you're you're almost like conjuring a, just a little bit of the feeling and the state of what you're working with. And then where I go from there is to guide people to not get stuck there, but to keep moving and finding resources that can come back to that story. So sometimes when we've gotten to the point of, let's say, the past experience again is, is anxiety. I might guide them to feel, you know, what's an area of calm that you feel in your body right now? You know, maybe we located the anxiety in someone's shoulders, like I shared, but they're feeling particularly calm in their legs. And what will guide is a process of going back and forth. And I know in somatic experiencing, this is called pendulation. There's not really a name for it. Maybe there would be like working between polarities would be the way to call it in focalizing. But will move back and forth. And the whole point of that is that if you're moving kind of from that resource to that area of discomfort, it makes it much easier to be with the discomfort. And it sort of it sort of starts to take the wind out of it in a way. So each time you come back to it, you're a little bit stronger. It's a little bit less scary. And I would say another component of it is is even bringing them together. What would it be like to actually move that calm to that area of tension and having them mix? And that, in my experiences, creates really incredible third experiences. So instead of either or, you get this like third kind of healing experience 
when you bring them together. It's like letting or inviting the integration to happen. Exactly. Maybe another way of putting that would be that I think there's so many ways that we think one or the other. Mm -hmm. Um, And we do that mentally, but we also do that on a physical level where it's like this is in a way it's like this is here and then the good feelings are here and they're like not to be mixed. (laughs) And (laughs) if we kind of have this process of working with someone that can help you safely bring them together, it's amazing the resolution that comes forward. And, and I would say what excites me is when someone brings that together and they get this immediate idea of like, I know what I need to do for myself, because it can become incredibly practical when you bring those feelings together. I've experienced that myself. Uh, one of the healers I work with does a triangle image and the two polar things on the bottom of the triangle on opposite ends are the two experiences and then letting them travel up to the top to the point. And in my experience, when that happens, it it feels to me like poof, like it just the whole thing kind of disappears. <laughs> um, not always. Sometimes some parts get stuck, but when they do meet up, sometimes I experience it goes poof, and then I have this expansion, and I can see so much more possibility in that gray zone, in that in between. Thanks for sharing that. And yeah, and I love that exercise. That sounds very similar. Yeah, I I was thinking about how you bring that together for people. Do you just invite the conversation between the two parts or Yeah, for me it it it's all about learning the about the person quickly, learning their language and also getting a sense of and sometimes I might even ask this, are you a visual person or are you more kind of an internal like interested in your felt senses? Mm-hmm. So, if they're a visual person, you can do very similar things through visualization, you know, and the idea is that you're, you're visualizing something that actually is creating a movement on a physical level. So yeah, I, I would say it really depends on their experience. But I do like, right off the bat, seeing how a person interacts with what happens if we're working with this challenge that maybe you've gone from therapist to therapist to therapist, because that, you know, because what I do is somewhat of a a niche thing. I'm I'm working with a lot of people that have done therapy and been with psychologists for years. So I would say I'm I'm always really interested in what happens when we get away from the stories because that immediately shakes things up. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, we're not going to talk about this again. And uh, I look for how it opens and then I go from there. Lovely. How did you get to this place in your life, Nick? Where did you come from to get to arrive in this line of work now? I came at it from kind of a funny direction where I, so I was working in marketing and advertising and I was doing that while I was also in a touring band. So I, I was incredibly fortunate that I was able to work my way into working from home or working remotely, like very early in my career. So I would be in this band, we'd be on tour, and I'd be like at my computer at night um, or like after sound check doing like social media marketing, basically. Wow. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which was cool. And and I think part of that too was that I identified so quickly that I I was really uncomfortable in office settings. And I I just liked being on my own. And I, I always I have always been an introvert, so resourcing on my own is just like just a natural part of how I 
yeah, how I resource and how I, I learn and, and grow. So I was doing that. And the basis of that band, it was someone that had been in therapy for a long time. He had gone to many different kinds of therapists and was, was kind of the person that like would go online and was totally happy to dig in to like thousands of articles about, you know, what's the latest thing and what's amazing for this, that, and the other, which overwhelms me. But it was nice because he did that work. And so what he did was he found Peter Levine for uh-huh. somatic experiencing and read his books and just was really fascinated by him. But because we're in New York and Peter Levine is on the West Coast, he was, you know, not able to see him. So he was kind of like, what's the next best thing? And who he found was Dr. Michael Bacucci. And he was with this therapist, Dr. Bacucci, who like foreshadowing ended up becoming like the greatest mentor of my life. Um, But he was seeing him and he just out of nowhere, just one day just asked, do you want to come to a workshop? My therapist is doing a workshop. No further information. And I just went and it was at this yoga center and I had never done yoga. I had never meditated before. There were Buddhas, and I was like, oh, that's weird. I'm not, <laughs> I'm just not really have ever connected with any of this stuff. And just like pleasant ferns. <laughs> and <laughs> I went in and I just, he, we had this group, it was like 40 people, and he did what he calls and what I call a body drop, which is just closing your eyes and bringing your awareness to your body. And he did an exercise of just like moving awareness around and seeing what appears. And when I opened my eyes, he started to just describe, when you look around right now, do you notice how clear your vision feels? And I was just like, wow, yes. And then he said, did you notice how timeless that state was when your eyes were closed and we did that exercise? And I just was like, wow, yeah, it was like I floated somewhere else. And just from that point on, there was the seed had been fully planted that there is something here that is of immense value and, and, and creates like incredible connection on a level that I think I had never experienced up until that point. So from there, I became involved with Dr. Bakuchi as going to his workshops. Then I became a client of his for a while. And then I, became really like an apprentice to him where I now work for him and I use some of my marketing skills for him. But there's a lot of mentoring going on where I'm always learning from him. And he's been in private practice for over 30 years. He was like the first openly gay practicing therapist in in New York City. I mean, his past and his history is like incredible. So he's just been this mentor that I think kind of got plopped into my life and it just changed everything. Wow. Yeah. And so from him flows an introduction into Family Constellations, where Susie Tucker, our mutual teacher, actually did a workshop for the Focalizing Institute in the early 2000s, which was like, I, you know, so that was like, you know, something like 15 years prior to me meeting Susie Tucker she had already worked with Michael before and knew him. (laughs) But the thing that's even weirder and more and serendipitous is that when I signed up for Susie's workshop, I signed up only knowing 
Michael likes family constellations and Bert Hellinger. That's all I knew. After the fact, I said it was Susie Tucker. And he was like, oh, yeah, she's the best. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's just, of course. <laughs> Such a small world. And, and so then from there, you know, it, I trained with Susie, became so inspired by family constellations and what it brings to the conversation. And that's kind of what led me to where I am today. I love that story. And it just so life-changing, these pivotal moments. There is one thing I could speak a little bit more to, like, I think there's an aspect of the story that's important to point out, which is just like my personal, why I became personally invested in it. And the way I, I share this is when I was involved with focalizing and I was going to all these workshops, a lot of it was around trauma healing. And so I was in these circles and often you'd break out into pairs and be supporting people around you. And there was a lot of talk that kind of boiled down to people suffering from various levels of PTSD. And I felt so activated and healed by these groups. But something that was always kind of nagging me in the back of my mind was, you know, I don't necessarily have this, you know, extreme extremely traumatic story in my history that really matches the people that I'm working with. And there was some there was always this disconnect of I don't get why I'm so supported by work on trauma. Um, mm -hmm. And it was kind of confusing. And so for me, when I found Family Constellations, that was really the missing link of the idea that trauma can move down generations and that the experience of trauma flows to descendants from parents and grandparents, you know, it suddenly a light bulb went off and I could see there is very extreme circumstances standing behind my parents. And, and it just kind of clicked that, yes, I can see how that flowed and where that comes from. And so I, I would say I'm not necessarily a direct victim of trauma, but it's in my system and it very much affected how I was raised. And so these two processes for me were just like such a perfect mingling of modalities for that experience of what happens when trauma is affecting you, but it's not even necessarily your direct experience. Yeah, that makes complete sense. It, it's actually exactly what I was thinking about in a recent podcast about trauma. One of the things I spoke about was that I believe that trauma is an incompletion of something that wanted to happen. And if it's, whether it's in your personal life or the ancestry or soul history, but then it started to get blurry, like the same kind of, I don't know if you'd call it a blur, but that experience you were saying about how come these practices are helping me, but I wouldn't consider myself having trauma like this. And in a way, I experience almost all of us having something in the ancestry that brings us to something incomplete. And I think what I found is that it's just not important to call it trauma or not. I totally agree. Yeah. And, and I would say when I'm, when I'm saying, making that description of, oh, I, I didn't think I had trauma, I'm almost connecting to like me at that younger age where I think, I had that label of like, I haven't had a car accident or I didn't have like childhood sexual abuse or, you know, it was like those kind of what you think of as like 
classic examples of it. It's like, oh, I, I don't have that. So why do I feel like I resonate with this so much? And I, I think you're totally right. So the way you're saying incomplete, and I think the way that I say it, which is just different words for the same thing, is that uh, trauma is overwhelm. So it's, mm-hmm. it's something occurred and there weren't enough resources there to hold it. Mm-hmm. And so there was in some way, in order for a person to survive or handle it, they had to create a barrier between it and them. And so I think in some ways it's similar to what you're saying where it's something needed completion, but it was interrupted for some reason. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the way where I usually go is that it, it's the interruption is around overwhelm, which again comes from, for some reason, lack of resources, which is, you know, can be for so many reasons. And often one of them is that the person was so young that it was not possible to hold it at that age. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like how you share it that way because it opens it up a little more. Because incomplete movement, it's just like the blanket statement for what you're saying, which just gives a, a broader picture of lack of resources and overwhelm. So this is something that I love that Stefan Hausner talks about with regard to trauma is that when there's this experience of overwhelm, people create these filters for their life where it's like that was impossible to hold. It was too much. I didn't have the resources. And so you you almost put these filters up to be able to just manage that that was a part of your life, that that happened. And I would say, you know, when I think about what trauma healing is, the way I see it is helping people to gently kind of peel away some of those filters that might have helped them survive in an earlier time. But now those filters are actually preventing a person from seeing a lot of what is happening in their life. It's preventing them from seeing things clearly. It's almost like I, the way I, it's hard to see on a podcast, but I'm kind of have my hands in front of my face. And it's like, once these filters are here, they get put in place by a traumatic experience, but then they make it harder to relate to a partner and they make it harder to relate to your coworkers. And so they, they kind of stay there. You know, when I think of the healing process, I think of how do we process what was unprocessed that's been on the other side of those filters for perhaps years. I can completely relate to that. And I'm thinking about filters being all sorts of things, belief sets, the nervous system in a fear state, like fight or flight or frozen, overwhelm. What do you mean by filters? I think those are great examples. I think sometimes a filter can be an intrusive pattern of thinking. So the filter could be, I am inherently not good enough. And that came in, let's say, when something, you know, again, perhaps traumatic or terrible happened and the person, you know, didn't have the strength to be able to take an action or to help someone or to help themselves. And there's like this sudden inadequacy there and that I'm not good enough, almost like a program that's running in someone's mind can make it can turn into I'm not good enough to have the job that you know I'm trained for or I'm not good enough to be successful in the way that I'm worthy of so I I would say that's just another like very specific example of a filter Mm -hmm. yeah that's helpful 
So let's talk about family constellations. What's inspiring you lately? So I think the big thing that's inspiring me right now is how do we learn from where we come from and integrate it into our lives today? (laughs) I think maybe it's helpful to just focus a little bit on family constellations involves this exploration of the past. It involves not only how you were raised might be affecting your present, but how your parents were raised and what they received from their parents. It's looking a little bit further back. But what I'm really interested in is just like what we started on is how do we not get stuck in the past and use it to its highest potential? So we go back and then how do we keep bringing it forward over and over again and creating that similar pendulation or it's almost like the triangle that you described as well. So I would say that's one thing that's that's inspiring me. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. It, it's like, how do you find more resource where you thought it wasn't there or there was a filter that you believed or saw something different? That's what it's making me think of. How do you see it? So I would say a really common thing that I work with when it comes to looking back at the family is, is this concept of belonging. And belonging is, it's a survival technique. You know, you as a child, you have to belong to someone to survive before the age of, you know, seven, or else you're not going to make it. And in that process of belonging to someone, you as children instinctively do so many things in order to earn your place. One of them is, is that you start to mimic your caregivers. And it's this belief that I am deserving of love when I am like my caregivers. And so you take all this information from them and mimic it back to them. And that's one way that you kind of glue to them. It's this survival thing. It's, it's sometimes it's called like this systemic love or, or love for the, the system that you come from. In part of that process of gluing to the caregiver and belonging to the system that you're in, part of this is taking in a lot of fantastic qualities and you're mimicking all the things that allowed your caregivers to survive themselves. In addition to all the great things that help you survive, you are also taking on information that come from their hardships. So the way you see it, I think as a child, it's, it's this unconscious mimicking of, of the caregiver. But within how they're making their choices through life is also, it's a result of their hardships and their experiences. So as a child, you take both the bad and the good is, is the simplest way to put it. Mm-hmm. So. I would say a lot of what I'm working on is how do we actually still belong to our family, but perhaps retire some of those aspects that really didn't even originate with you. They perhaps originated with a parent or they originated with a grandparent. And how do we actually leave it with them so that you can create something new in your present? I feel like so much of my work with myself and with other people is in doing that. When I'm working with clients, helping them to do that too, or seeing where they might want to do that, is to leave the past in the past or leave parts of other people's experiences with them and clearing up all the gunk and all of the the clutter that's been there that we think is ours. And I think that's an essential piece of what you're saying of we take the good and the bad is also we take what we, we, we can't see what we're taking, the unconscious pieces that 
we don't even realize is what it seems like you're bringing to light with people. Yeah, it's it's we take it all, you know, and there's there's no knowing of what's you know how it'll end up later in life or what that'll you know turn into, but mm-hmm. we just we take it all, and that's just a part of the human condition to do that. Which leads me to the topic of death. How do you put end or retire? How do you let certain things, in a way, die in you and go where they belong or be let go? I've just really enjoyed the topic of death, and I know you do too. And when I brought up death earlier with you privately, you were like, love it. (laughs) (laughs) It's like one of the few people where you're like, let's talk about death. And it's like, Great. Yes. I'm so glad you mentioned that. <laughs> you were like so excited and I'm that makes me so happy. We might be <laughs> just of rare breed cuz I know there are many people out there that are interested in that topic, but what makes you interested in it? What is so alive for you about it? What makes me so interested is is the role that it plays in life. It's that when we allow death to be a part of the picture, it pushes us to be more than we are. And I think when we are fighting death in a lot of ways and fighting it in terms of trying not to acknowledge it or or somehow putting it out of the picture, we just move differently. We we use our time differently in a way we don't take life as seriously or 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 we don't make as much of it as we could. And so yeah, I'm fascinated by death and, and how much it actually can elevate life. I was just thinking about how my partner has memento mori. It's a coin and it's coming from the Daily Stoic, I think. And he has it on his desk and it just reminds him of what he needs to do today. And it, it seems to bring him to that, to more of himself now. That sounds amazing. Yeah, it's really cool. So death, what I think of in terms of what people are dealing with around death is fear of death, fear of loss. What comes up for you or for either for you personally or in your work with clients about that? I mean, there's a lot of reasons to be afraid of death. And, and I, what, one of the things that comes up for me is that I was actually, from a very young age, had a very intense fear of death. And I would actually, I would come down when I was like seven or eight years old, I would wake up in the middle of the night and I would come downstairs to, or, or go to my parents' room to basically tell them I was afraid of dying. Um, and there was also something for me about sleep and death of like, oh, is this what it's like? It's like, is falling asleep like dying? I think it is so important to honor that that is, it's really profound. The reason why I kind of went to this, like, death motivates life is that when we include it in the picture, so let's say in family constellations, if you are setting up this constellation or map of your family or of your life, or your, or let's say you're creating a map of here's the intention you want to get to and you're having an issue, there's like some sort of block. If you place death in the picture, if you just acknowledge its presence, it's very common that more options appear or that it it creates a shift in how you're seeing things. And there's something about that like little bit of fear and the fear of loss 
that can actually create and renew connection in some way. This is such like a simple example, but it, when you hear, let's say, this distant family member is on their deathbed, there is so often the pull to go see them, to make a connection in some way. And I think that happens in a lot of different ways, actually, that when death becomes more present, connection becomes more needed and, and more emphasized. It makes sense. There's just so many ways you can look at that, how death is part of the picture already, even if we acknowledge it or not. And if we're not acknowledging it, then what else are we not acknowledging? And perhaps that's part of the connection piece or the part of the, the polarity of death, the aliveness and the fullness of feeling. And so if we acknowledge it, it seems to open that up. I'm curious for you, Candace, what do you see as like the role of death when you're working with people? Well, there are, as you said, there are many reasons to fear death. And I think what I experience is that when it becomes a more intense fear, and I'm not sure where that threshold is, it's just different for each person, what's tolerable for them and what's a little bit more out of their feeling of of capacity. But when it becomes more intense, I usually look to something farther back in the lineage or something in their life where they felt like either they personally were near death or they something very scary happened and they thought they were going to die or there's something that brings them to the thought that oh my gosh I might die and what what about that? Where does that deepen and expand into? And then if we look at the lineage, who died? <laughs> who died and that was unexpected? Or where, as you were saying about trauma, where is there a lack of resource or just not enough there to support something that related to death or dying or fear of death? It, it just feels like it opens up a lot. And when that opens up and it releases or it moves through, it just lets so much energy run back into the system of the body. And so much, as you said, connection with self, but also all these parts of themselves that um, they may not have realized where this fear was coming from. And then death becomes not something not so scary, but something that makes sense. I love that. And it, it reminds me of something that I, I sometimes do with people, which is, and you can do this for many things, but death is a great example where you might ask someone, you know, if, let's say if the fear is, I'm afraid of dying. What I might ask is, if that happened, what's the worst part about that happening? Mm. And that usually opens up a different story for each person. And so if, if you asked me that, the story would be that I wouldn't fulfill my purpose. And that is a flavor that then, just like you said, if you go back to the lineage, okay, did someone die and not fulfill their purpose? And for me, I have a, a great uncle, and that is the exact story of the family, where he was 30 years old and died of cancer. And he was like, 
this law student that was, or he was, mm-hmm. a, he was working as an accountant. He was the golden child of the family and he died. And it was just, you know, that not fulfilling purpose then becomes this echo that moves around the family system. And I definitely carry that echo. Wow. Yeah. That's really powerful. It, it's reminding me of what, of what you said earlier is how do you take it forward? When we have fear of death, when death comes into the conversation, I experience a lot of people just ending there, shutting off there, because mm-hmm. it does bring that, that overwhelm back up sometimes or for whatever reason. And what you're saying is don't stop there. Take it one, one, one concept or idea further, one emotion further. Definitely. Because, you know, mine was not fulfilling purpose, but someone else could say, I wouldn't be there for my kids. I wouldn't be able to take care of my parents. You know, and that, that's a completely different story. It's Mm -hmm. suddenly a, a whole nother picture opens up. So cool. Yeah. Or, or I would be, even if it's just simply, I would be forgotten. That's a whole nother picture. There's so much more information to that than just fear of death. And this is also coming to something so beautiful about constellations work. And I think maybe focalizing work because it comes in with, with somatic experiencing is when something opens up like that, like the why or what, what people are really afraid of. And in your example, you shared about your family and your experience is those words. We can just extrapolate those words and open up all the doors to where those words might have fit and might have arrived in our hands when they may not fit in our lives, truly, but they were part of the web of the story that was behind us. I know that you have many stories like that. And to me, I find them very, um, oh, just like so inspiring and powerful. Is there any experience you've had lately, personally, or with your clients that feels comfortable to share about how impactful Constellation's work has been in this way? Yeah. One thing I just want to point out is that when you're doing this work, it's one of the most common things that come up is is someone saying this is how i feel and it doesn't make sense mm-hmm. <laughs> like i don't know why i feel this way it seems to always have felt i've always felt this way and i i don't get it when some when you just start to introduce that idea of some of your present feelings can be the residue of an experience that came before you were born just even introducing that idea just taking a moment with that it's amazing. I would say 50% of people can already start to get a picture of like, huh, actually, there is some way in which this fear actually makes sense. And, and if they don't get it immediately, that's what the process of Constellations does is, is seeking it and, and seeing if it, where it might sit. So mm-hmm. I, I just want to point out that that's, I think that's incredibly common. Yeah, I think that's beautiful how you said that with the residue. When it comes to my personal experience, this is something that's always unfolding and I'm always learning more. And it, the relationship between personal experience and family history. I could highlight so many different things, but one of the big ones that I think really defined a lot of my identity, um, especially up, in, up through my mid-20s, 
is that I had what so many people have, which is I had a difficult relationship with my mother. And my experience of her as a child was that there was just a lot of anxiety and fear in the household. And so it was like, I remember my brother wandering off once after a baseball game and my mother within basically a 15 second period going from where's your brother to he must be kidnapped and he must be gone forever. And I tell this to clients as well is that thing of if you, if there's anxiety in the household as a young child, what the child takes away from that and what I took away from it is that something, there is something dangerous here. I'm in danger. And if I'm not in danger, my mom is in danger because she's acting like something could get us at any moment. And so as a child, I started to carry in my body just like a a sense of that fear that there is danger. And I'm going to kind of go back and forth between the past and the present because I and and again this is kind of almost becoming the theme of this podcast I feel like yeah <laughs> this fluctuation right you look at fear there's something wrong something's here and it's dangerous and if you flash forward to me in my let's say my 20s is that I got really into the food quality is bad I need to eat healthy I need to take a bunch of supplements And I can now look back at that and say, that perception of, and and I'm not saying that food quality isn't bad either, but I, I was very drawn to ways of looking at the world around me and finding where the danger is or, or trying to seek out the, what's dangerous and trying to escape it. Mm -hmm. That became this dynamic that was like a repeating dynamic through my life at so many different phases. So another thing that happens when there is a parent that seems like they're in trouble all the time is that kids, and this is what I did, become helpers. And so throughout my life, it's been in my dating experience that I've always been the helper to all my partners. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I remember actually being at a bar in college and saying to someone, and I'm not proud of this, I just said, I think all women are crazy. And I look back at that now and it's like, no idiot like you were seeking people that needed help (laughs) right it was like the lens your your radar was honing in on just these these types of women yes that needed someone in their life to help them and then i come away like oh it's all the women that are crazy that's that's them and this is how this is how you love this is how we love right yes Uh, Yeah, that's such a great example. Just like I'm saying about kind of fluctuating back and forth a bit. Mm -hmm. So if we return now again to this early household experience of there's some sort of danger. When I got into Family Constellations, one of the earliest ideas that was introduced to me was, you know, okay, this is how your mother was when you were young. What was her experience with her mother like? And I could immediately start to conjure these stories. And the story was the exact 
opposite story. (laughs) So my mother's experience with her mother was that her mother did not pay attention to her at all. It was like, literally, my mother could be anywhere and no one kept tabs on her. She could do whatever she wanted. And it was right on the border, almost like neglect. When you hear my mother talk about this, that's how she speaks about it. It's like we were kind of free to do whatever. And so what then starts to fill in as the picture is like my mother came away from that experience with a strong sense that it was actually very dangerous. And and I believe very strongly that there were some things that happened to her during this period that made her feel like the fact that her parents didn't know where she was exposed her to something. And I, I don't know what that something is, but I'm very aware that there was something. And so when I was raised, it was almost like a reaction. Okay, that was bad to not know, for my mother to not know where I was. So I'm going to know where my kids are at all times. Mm -hmm. And this idea of I'm going to do the opposite of what I experienced is one of the most common movements that I see in my work when I look at families. It's like this skip a generation thing. Mm-hmm. And I think if I hadn't have found family constellations, I would be very likely raising my future children as my grandmother raised my mother, <laughs> where I would have <laughs> reacted against and said, I had way too much attention on me. I'm going to give my kids freedom again. There's always more to the story, but I think I have an aunt. My, so it's my mother's youngest sister that was a genealogist and actually did the genealogy of my mother's line and my grandmother's line, the Kilburn line. And what you can see is that in these words, you can see this picture has been developed for many more generations than I've just described. And one of the big ones, you know, if if we go just straight to my grandmother, is that she received, in a sense, was neglected, is basically her story. So I can only imagine that the way she raised it's not always one or the other, but for her, raising my mother was like she raised her with a little less neglect than she received. And then something mm-hmm. happened that allowed my mother to flip and then say, I'm going to raise my child with a lot more attention. And then that created a reaction back. My point in this is to not only share my experience, but say there's a lot of ways that people choose to reject where they come from. and it can kind of put you in a different form of quicksand, but it's a very similar Mm. quicksand. Yeah. Yes, I see that. And it feels like the polarity finding the middle zone again is coming up in me as you're talking about it, like for you. The middle zone. Yeah. And it's again, it's like, why not? It's, It's going back to not one or the other, but what if both? If we don't reject either one, and we accept both or find a place for both, then what? And then so in this example that we're talking about, it's like, how do we find what is a healthy amount of space and a healthy amount of care and watchfulness? Mm-hmm. And how do we integrate both instead of having one or the other? You know, and that, and I'm always just tickled by the fact that I have this this aunt that did this genealogy because I think you know, I suspect she sensed some of these patterns that come from the history of that line 
And so she dug in and went to all these libraries searching through microfilm because this was like pre-internet. She dug up all this information about the history of that family. And I I think, you know, she hasn't put it in this words, but I suspect it was her own, you know, way of exploring and understanding herself. Yeah. A way do you feel like that also brings the resonance for your work? Some curiosity in that. Totally. It, yeah. I mean, it makes me think not only are some of these experiences it's the things that I carry, but it seems like the desire to learn about family as a way of understanding myself is also has a role in my system. Oh, thank you for sharing <laughs> that. Yeah. So I'm curious, um, what challenges are you experiencing now or what's alive for you in your inner world or your family system world? Something that's really alive for me is building my business, actually, mm-hmm. which is, I think, is, is not always the place healers or, or therapists go. It's like there's often so much focus on processing emotions or, or an internal healing. But what I'm finding is when I've created these intentions to actually reach more people and give my gifts in the, in the best possible way, setting that intention has created a whole new way of, of interacting with myself. And it's also given way to a lot of processing and, and growing. So I, I would say one thing is that to, if you set an intention like wanting to give your gifts to more people, you have to take care of yourself and take care of your body. So there's a physical component and a time management component. Mm-hmm. But one of the other components of this is that I can see that, um, you know, in family constellations, they, they talk about, and then the philosophy of it, that your success is also very connected to where you come from. And one of the most common ways this looks is that often people feel like if they become more successful than their parents, they are somehow betraying them. Ah, yes. Some people will hear that and immediately connect that. Other times it comes up through the process of like, what if, what if we actually go through this constellation process and in the image that we're creating, we give you the salary that you're looking for. Let's say you just have it. Now, how do you feel? And suddenly guilt appears. Suddenly it's like, I, this is too hard to carry. And I've found in for my process is that I definitely have some of that. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it's not just a betrayal, you know, that I feel like I belong to their way of life. But there's also a component of, I think something I've carried within me for, for since I was very young was this almost like being a rebel to the world. I've kind of been in, in rebellion of so many different things, just like I was a rebel, rebellious person in my household. Being rebellious to the world is not the best place to come from to, when you want to give your gifts to people. Mm-hmm. So I would say I, I'm spending a lot of time working with that right now, is to just peel that back and, and take various directions to, you know, where can I stand where I'm actually more open instead of, I think rebelliousness is often a guardedness. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think that it can come from the same place as as the original fear itself or the original thing that's being rebelled against. Totally. So what do you do to nourish your body or your spirit, yourself? I would say broadly, I'm putting a lot of attention to self-care. I just think it's it's so important for, for me. It's like I've, I've kind of jotted down. I have this list of here's the things I do for self-care. And what's great about that is the moment you are feel unstable or something is coming up that's hard to, you know, let's say you just feel like kind of walloped by work or are just kind of disappointed by how something went, you kind of, I, I refer to my list <laughs> of like, here's the things I can tap into. And one of them is I'm working with a nutritionist, actually, a person named Allison. And uh, her, her website is Feel Awesome, Be Awesome. I think it's important to take care of yourself, but I also think it's so important to bring in resources around you. <laughs> so that, mm-hmm. that's what I would say is that one of the things is that I'm, I'm seeking just like having a team to always be able to tap in. And I, I feel like that's something of, that our conversations become too, is like when you work in, in the industry that we work in, which is, can be very siloed, I think self-care for me becomes how do I create even more of a network and more people around me. Mm-hmm. So that's one. I mean, very practically, it's like I had a green juice this morning <laughs> and I'm eating organic. <laughs> Sometimes I'm afraid, I feel like a little bit hesitant to say those things because then it, it can sound like, I don't know. Have you ever had someone talk about the, what they're doing for nutrition and it, then it becomes like a competition? <laughs> It's like, like <laughs> with the other person or yeah yeah exactly it's like here's here's what i would say is i feel like most of the time that i will say something like i'm drinking green juices on a regular basis the response from the whoever i'm speaking to is well i've been trying to cut down on sugar and i was doing this once and it, it almost like brings up their own like what they should or shouldn't be doing <laughs> yeah it's like i'm guilty <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I could just feel that just now that I was like, oh, I don't want to, is this going to come off as bragging to even say that I'm doing this stuff, which is, that's kind of weird, actually. Well, isn't that the same, like, it feels to me that come that could come from the same place as uh, the betrayal you spoke about, Yes. right? Like, if I am doing something good and healthy for me, and I can't share it, or else the other person will feel bad and it will betray them if I feel good. You nailed it, Candace. That's why you're so talented. Well, is, we're working together here. <laughs> it's true. It's true. But yeah. yes, I think the protection, you know, I'm kind of, I'm still, my mind goes to the listeners of this podcast and it's like, mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of what we're talking about. Sometimes it can just sound like philosophy or, or theory. The point to me is if if someone could take something away from what we're talking about it's not to now become this incredible analyzer of your family you know the whole point is that you're working with someone else like have candace or i become a little bit more of the analyzer for you and then allow you to just have the experience of what it feels like to step out so but what what you bring up candace about that thing about 
of a protection of others. That's like a perfect insight. If someone can reflect back to you that you seem to be taking care of others, it just becomes a signpost, you know, because you say that I'm now more likely to notice when I'm doing it. And then what I would suggest is to, if, to even go further, if this was a session, is to then go to a physical level of like, what does it feel like to be someone that takes care of other people? And, Absolutely. you know, from there, I think what would be more than likely for me is, well, I'm right now my focus is to be taking care of myself more. So mm-hmm. I'd like to be focused on that, which is what I just said. So, yeah. And now we're working with two polarities that might be nice to come together. <laughs> I was just thinking that. I was thinking about how both of us are resonating in that polarity and integrating that third space. And here is just like such a lovely moment of that where it's not about one. I don't know. Maybe that's a constellation in itself. Like, where did we get the idea it was one or the other that could be happy? Or, and let me explain myself. Like, it's almost like if you feel happy and feel proud of yourself, and it may not be something that I'm doing or I feel proud about myself doing, it's almost like only one of us can have our experience here. And if the upset is the prevailing feeling of one person, then we can only play to that in a way. And how do we find where we can both exist? It's the both and, and where's the dance of both experiences being okay and accepted, where it doesn't have to put down another person. Like it doesn't have to be protection. I'm just trailing away now. I feel like I kind of went into something that I couldn't explain very well because there's so many parts. It's okay. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's just what came up. I almost wish you could just rephrase it one more time. Well, I guess as I'm sitting with it, it feels that when the experience of protecting someone else happens to me or when I'm in that space, I'm usually in a younger child space or perhaps it has to do with other things like some sort of energy passed down as well, but it doesn't feel like I'm in my whole self where we can accept or I can accept both experiences, mine and the other, where I just play to someone else's experience and try to make them feel okay as a way of loving them. And that just doesn't seem to work because then I'm not really quite loving myself. Yep, totally. There's almost a part of me that wants to like, what's the answer to that question of where did it come from where we thought there could be one or the other? Because that is perhaps one of the, the central assumptions that, that I think people live with. I have been thinking about that, actually. And... Go figure. I'm watching Game of Thrones again. (laughs) And The Hundred. The Hundred is even worse (laughs) in terms of that mentality. As I'm watching these types of shows, first it feels like, yes, this is the way we need to sublimate this energy of the experience of war and people being slaughtered and only one tribe can live kind of experience. 
Like mm. this is for the survival of our people. And I think that's just been so prevalent in our societal history, in our earthly history. And it feels like a trauma wound from all of those experiences put together that we think one or the other, only one can exist here. Wow. That's such an interesting direction to go in. What that makes me think about is just that it's like the property of groups is that when a group is formed, there is a sense of what makes you a part of the group, why you belong to that group. And it's part of the nature of groups too, to push out people that don't fit that mold in some way. And then that's obviously been like, you know, was war the, the origin of that or does that even go back further? You know, what is that perception that where I went and I, this isn't a fully formed thought, but I just felt like I was going back to almost like stories of the Bible and just like being the sinner. And it was like people were good. Then the apple was eaten and now they're not good and they're cast out. Mm-hmm. And it's just like this archetypal, the origin of like you're in the garden or, and, or you're out of the garden. And when you leave, you know, here's now all the things to return to like the grace of where you were basically. And it's just such a, it's a deep concept. I feel like I almost, this required, would require a whole nother podcast to talk about it. I think so. <laughs> and I think actually it just lets me arrive back again. And for me to belonging, yes, which is something, you know, you and I talk about all the time and you've mentioned in this show and in family constellations, it's like the cornerstone of everything. It's if you, we will do all sorts of things to belong and to stay in, in the good light of our grouping because we need that safety at a young age. And then we just live that way thinking that that's how it has to be Yeah, as adults, but we have more resource now. So we may not need that way. So I, I think about the one or the other and the, that pushing out experience that you're talking about as the fear of being pushed out. So I, I better love in this way and I want to love. And this is how I think I can without, without any of that process going on in our minds, just happening. Exactly. And, and, and that is something just right at the end there that you share is I think it's important that people understand that these you know, I'm using quotation marks in the air. It's like these decisions are not conscious decisions. How we belong and, and where we feel safe and where we go, it happens automatically. And in some ways it was like if you were the firstborn or the secondborn or it changes depending on what sibling you were and in birth order. And, and so there's, you know, there's so many ways that it's sort of given to you. But I think when you are fully an adult and you can stand in your strength, you have a lot more freedom than you think to create a different life for yourself. And so it's, I would say, my role, the way I see it is helping people to take a step out of some of those patterns and then processing all the whatever feelings come up about that step out, if it's guilt or fear, and then allowing people to feel nice and rooted and safe 
standing in a different place than they were before. Just gives such a relief feeling, even just to hear that process and to know that that position is open. It's there. It's very fruitful to do this process of seeing how your family and ancestry contributes to your present experience. Mm -hmm. But at no point should we ever lose sight of that we are individuals that have an incredible amount of power over our lives. I like to leave people on is like, you can create something new. Yeah. Thank you for that. And I think that that's like a whole other podcast too. And maybe (laughs) one we do together because I've brought that topic up with you before about there's absolutely influence, a very big one from our family system and our group dynamic mentality or, or way of being. And then there's our personal spirit and being that has the ability to be full in itself. And that's a complicated conversation, so it's just not for now. But thank you for that reminder. And I I also love the reminder about everything we're talking about. It's all words. And it's nothing to the experience of what's in the body and what's the lived experience, which can unfold any possibility that is completely different from what you and I have talked about or may match. But that it there's no answer except for the one within. Yeah. And I agree with it. The word experiential, I think is it's I don't think I mentioned it earlier, but it's probably the most common word I use for the way I work. And I think in the experience is the power of this work. And it's that if I told you, you know, here's what's happening, now stop doing that. Mm-hmm. It would mean nothing. Yeah. It, it would literally mean basically almost nothing. Well, we try to do that with ourselves all the time and it doesn't work. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right? Exactly. I want to stop doing this or I should. <laughs> yes, totally. And so even with this conversation, it's all of our words are trying to point back to, just like you said, just an experience of what this what these sessions look like and makes them powerful and different from simply just like getting a diagnosis and here's how to change it, is that you're engaging something deeper than the mind. Um, And I think the reason why I talk about the body is that when you feel safe in your body to do something different or to to step out and, and take a chance in a way you haven't before, if you feel safe in your body, those old barriers or those old thought patterns just have a a little less power. Again, when you create a new experience on a physical level, on a deeper level, I think the reverberation of it is um, can really cut through in a very different way than simply a, a thought. Yeah. It's in your bones then. And if it's in your bones, you don't have to remember it. Yeah. Your body <laughs> you can do the work. To, well, yeah. it's not even work. It's just the body is. The energy is. Yeah. And, and that, I mean, I don't know your experience, but mine with, with family constellations and focalizing is that I'll do a very targeted, like, or a session that's really based on a specific intention. And at the end of it, I might not even remember half of what we spoke about. But yeah. two weeks later, suddenly, oh, you know, I did just do that thing that I wanted, I wish I was getting around to, or my relationship to my partner is become a lot clearer all of a sudden and 
oh yeah, that was what that session was about. And that's the work that I love is when someone can step away and the change happens without needing to have to do something. And you might get a kick out of this. I've heard this before that Bert Hellinger, the, the person that kind of originated Family Constellations, would tell people after the session, go home and don't do anything. Because mm-hmm. people would learn all this about them and they'd say, oh, I need to call someone. I need to go change this. I need to quit my job. And right. he would say, no, go home and don't do anything and wait for an answer to arise organically. And, and for me, that's exactly what's happened with this work. Absolutely. Yeah. For me as well, when I say absolutely, that's, I think that's so important with this work because we find out a lot of things and we can just feel compelled to move quickly. Well, thank you, Nick. One thing I would love is for you to come back on the show and for us to talk about some of the things more in depth that both interest us and who's listening out there. Is that something you'd be interested in? Oh, yeah, I'd love that. And in this case, I'd invite anyone who's listening to reach out to either one of us and just share what you found interesting and what you want to know more about. If there was a topic like death or belonging or protection that uh, we might talk about with a little more time on the podcast, we're happy to hear from you. And Nick, I know that one of the best ways that people find out about your work and check out if it's a good fit for them, just like it is it's actually the same experience that I have, is to work with you or to experience something from you. And so Nick is offering two very special things today in terms of experiencing something that he's offering and experiencing a dynamic with him or how it would be like to work with him. Uh, Nick, would you share your audience gift and about meditation that we'll offer? Sure. For your lovely audience, I'm giving half-off sessions. Any person that wants to try family constellations and, and focalizing in the way that I combine them can reach out to me and they can get half price for a session. And one of the things I just want to share about that is that I, I love working remotely. So if someone isn't in New York City and is interested, please reach out. We can be really effective at a distance. And the second thing is that I'm going to be doing some guided meditations for people. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll be recording a guided meditation and I believe we'll come back and, and kind of present that to your audience. Absolutely. Yes. When we, when this podcast airs, this, uh, the meditations that Nick offers will go out the week during that week that this podcast is published. So you can enjoy that and get a taste of what Nick does. Nick, is there anything else you want to share today? I think I just want to say thank you, Candace. It was really good to talk to you. And I'm glad to, that we did this. Thank you. I'm, I'm really glad that we did this too. And I always learn something more about myself when talking to you. And it's, it's just a joy. Thank you so much. So where can people find you, Nick? So the place you can find me are Nick. It's Nick and then my middle initial N. So NickNWerber.com. And then I'm also on Instagram at NWerber. And I really also encourage people to go to Instagram 
because I post, I write a lot there. Yeah. So if you're interested in this work and interested in exercises, I put a lot of it out there. Yeah, it's excellent. Everything you put out there, I just take something away from. So check it out if you're interested in in what Nick has to say. And also everything will be linked in the show notes. So no need to remember if you want to just go to the website, candacewu.com slash podcast, you'll find that. Actually, Nick's episode, candacewu.com slash Nick. <laughs> Super easy. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Nick. Thank you, Candace. I'm so grateful that Nick was able to come onto the show and give his story as well as thoughts today. I always learn so much from him and I hope you did too. We do have plans to do another podcast so that we can dive deeper into some of the topics that came up. I think we could just go on endlessly. I hope you join us for that and I'm so grateful that you're out there. I appreciate you listening in. If you have questions for me and Nick, feel free to reach out to us. As always, you can find Nick's information on the show notes at CandiceWu.com slash Nick. And take a moment to check out his Healing Experiential, which brings you support for working with a challenging situation with a family member. If these podcasts bring you any joy, inspiration, or support in your life, and you want to contribute so that this can continue, feel free to go to my site at CandiceWu.com slash Patreon. And on Patreon, just want to let you know that if you're interested in a healing meditation that is personalized just for you, there's a level of donation monthly that you can receive a quarterly personalized meditation based on whatever you need in your life right now, what you're building for yourself, and the empowerment that you want. And I do that intuitively and in connection with you based on what you want right now. So again, that's CandiceWu.com slash Patreon. Before you leave today, I'd like to invite you to sign up for the bi-monthly newsletter that goes out with all sorts of podcasts, retreats, information, as well as resources for loving yourself and other healing experientials. You can find this at CandiceWu.com slash Embody. And check out the page on Facebook, The Embody Community, which brings very quick snippets of ways you can support yourself through the day, through the week, ways to love yourself, heal, or to bring more embodiment to your experience. That's CandiceWu.com slash embody. I'm so grateful you're listening and take care. I'll see you next time on the Embody Podcast.